0: What's up, Midwelle Podcast listeners? Episode 24, we are continuing on our theme of Lotija. We brought on two veterans of the race, Dave Sharp, Paul Watson. They trained together, they've raced together, they've been friends for years, and they share some of their secrets about the course, uh, nutrition, the way they train, the way they think, and how Loda just kind of played a big part in their life for the last 20 years. So pretty fun to hear from these legends. Uh, what they do and how do they make the race work and really why they do it. Uh, A lot of what we do on the Meadual team revolves around wrapping up the season at this race. So it's fun to hear from these two guys who've been on the podium so many times and have raced uh, the race so many times. So hopefully you love hearing from them. Obviously, Dave's a a repeat customer here. Uh, Repeat offender, I think, is what Paul calls him. So (laughs) it's fun to have somebody back on. And uh, we're grateful for the time they spent. So hopefully you enjoy this episode, and uh, good luck prepping for Lotija. All right, welcome to the Dwelle Podcast. Stewart here, joined with uh, Dave Sharp, Paul Watson. The three of us are on today to talk all things Lotija. You've got two of the masters uh, just at Lotija. We're grateful to have you two on. Uh, when we when I asked them, I, I just essentially said we're going to get on until. And hear all your stories, how you train, what you do, best experiences, worst experiences. These guys have been through it all. So uh, Mm -hmm. welcome, dudes. Grateful to have you on.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us. This will be fun.
0: Dave, welcome back. This is your second episode. You're the first uh, second-time guest on the program. Well done.
2: Repeat offender.
0: (laughs) I need a repeat. Repeat offender. You're wearing your lone goat shirt. That's awesome. That's right. Nice. Hey, well, um, I guess by way of introduction, I've known uh, Paul for years. We live in the same neighborhood, and uh, man, Paul, you have been an avid cyclist, athlete, very active your whole life, especially through the school. Uh, as a school teacher for Wasatch Junior High, I do. Uh, I know all the old war stories of students that used to take uh, down to Moab. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody' yeah. to have that experience down there with you. Uh, I, was that a yearly trip you used to take students down there?
2: Yeah, yearly, yep. I could only take 50 at a time, but um, but it was fun to do. that's one of my best memories from the, from teaching school. So, Paul, so you sidebar,
1: Paul Paul took my daughter Jasmine down to Moab. I never did. He did. She was, <laughs> I don't know 14. And I put her in a pair of my medulla shorts, gloves, and a jersey that was so baggy on her, and hooked her up with a bike, and she made the whole slick rock loop
0: nice because dude. of Paul Paul yeah. man, he's the master, he'll teach anybody
2: that's a tough loop too. I mean even now to go ride it it's it's demanding, wouldn't you say Dave? I mean that, that's a loop. oh yeah yeah, yeah, anyway. so
0: so. Paul, you were uh, a teacher at uh, Wasatch Junior High for how many years? Thirty years. Thirty years. Thirty years. Um, yeah. And uh, multiple uh, repeat offender for um, best best voted best teacher of the year there in Granite School District. Um, so a lot of uh, awesome accolades as a teacher at, at uh, Wasatch Junior High. And now you, you've kind of moved on. You're working uh, harder now. You're doing more work. <laughs>
2: yeah physically more it seems but a lot less stress so I'm good, good.
0: <laughs> yeah well uh we we brought you both on to talk about loadage job. maybe paul you'll start kind of your own history with the race um okay. when you started racing and and maybe how many times you've done it yeah. kind of what's happened okay go so ahead i've done it
2: i've done it 15 times this, this will be my 16th year uh, and I think, Dave, you would know, uh, I think like Jim Hutton, J- uh, Ken Jones, those guys, have they're at 20 plus years, I think. So,
1: Peterson, Moser.
2: Yeah, those guys have, uh, I think they've uh, got a long list of years, too. But anyway, uh, and out of those 15 years, I've probably been on the podium. Well, I know I've been on the podium six times, at least. There might be a seventh, I can't remember. I can't remember. A couple of second places, third, fourth, a couple times each, probably fifth, ninth, 11th, probably 20 something, I think in the early days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my pedigree. And are those consecutive
0: years, Paul, or have you, uh, I mean, every year for the last 15, 16, or did you kind of take years off?
2: The first year I bought a bike, I rode loaded jaw. The second year, took a year off, and then have ridden it every year since. Okay. Got Mm -hmm.
0: it. And then, Dave, how about you?
2: So this will be 19
1: for me. My first loaded jaw, I think, was in 97. Okay. And uh, I've taken three years off, one for the birth of a grandchild, one for the birth of a child, and one for uh, COVID. Ooh. And I wish I would have raced it last year, but uh, yeah, I took last year off, so I didn't get the Rona, but I got it this year, so this year is 19.
0: Very cool, and I know in uh, episode three, Dave was on with us, um, that's when we first heard from him. A lot of uh, podium experience for Dave, I mean, he doesn't pussyfoot around everybody, he, <laughs> he rides to win, baby, so how mm-hmm. about uh, podium, Dave, for you?
1: Uh, I've, so I've raced at 18. I've been on the podium 15 mm-hmm. and, uh, once was a couple of years ago when I rode with Paul, Paul, uh, and I just kind of decided to ride it with each other and Paul was not having the best day. So I sat back, we finished that one together. Mm-hmm. Um, another was in 2004, the year my son died. Um, and I rode it with, uh, Chris and Jim and Dan and Gosh, there were like 10 of us that wrote it, and, uh, you know, the law of averages kind of haunted us, and we had flats and whatever, but 10 of us crossed the line together, so that was, that was awesome. And then another year, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, but I, I've won it five times and, you know, taken second or third,
0: all the rest. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll start with you, Paul. Uh, why? There's a. I I want to know why, why do you do it? What, what's the, what's the driving factor behind doing this every
2: year? Hmm. You know, that, that's a good question. And one that I haven't really, um, uh, a good answer for other than, um, I, 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 I wouldn't say that it keeps me riding throughout the season it, and maybe it does, but that's not my purpose. I love to ride. So I'll just, I'll ride whether there's races or not, but, um, God, you know, uh, I, th- this will sound like I'm just giving you crap, but I think my wife likes it better than I do. She likes okay. doing the support for it. I think as much or more than I like riding it, and uh, I don't think she'd let me not do it. <laughs> so I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm not just making that up. But um, but I love. You know, I like being there. It's fun to do it's just great to have in the fall just have a nice long uh event like that it's I love it I love Jackson I love the Tetons so nice yeah how about you Dave so uh, the first year that I
1: did it uh my buddy Corey Gillette had done it a couple of years and my first year there were 300 total riders (laughs) racers and (laughs) uh so I had trained with Corey all summer, did the Alpine Loop. I thought I was going to die. And my number one goal was to finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I got a – so my first year, you know, I went out as a cap five. I was in a breakaway. Our first feed zone was at mile 90. I I'd put a new chain on the day before, and it was – I had a sticky link in there. So during the – we stopped to get our feed, and I was, like, bending my chain to make it more pliable. And it snapped. Hmm. And so some, One of the other guys in the break with me had a chain tool. He let me borrow. And then my support dude helped me with it. And I got back on and I was in no man's land for a hundred miles, just dying and dehydrated. And I thought I just got to finish. And, and I did finish. And then I discovered that I took third and I'm like, <laughs> I can do this. I can win this thing. <laughs> and and then I started doing it and I started winning it and and I'm like, it just, I was never an endurance guy before and I just got the bug. But I would say for me, the why is bar none, the camaraderie of the training all summer long with guys like you guys and everybody on the team, those big long Saturday rides where you dig deep and then you just Relish that every week, and it's addictive. I mean, and I can't get enough of it, and that's what keeps me going all winter long. Is thinking about the training, and then just the anticipation of the race. And yeah, there are a lot of other big races, but for whatever reason, Lotus Jaws kind of the holy grail because it's so freaking long and it's hard and it sucks at times. But that's what motivates me. Nice, so I and mean, it's awesome.
0: Yep. <laughs> I, uh, I have you guys ever hiked? Have a soup eye down to the waterfalls.
1: Wish I had. No, but that's
0: on the list. So it's kind of one of those things where when you get down there, you're like, this is incredible. And then when you hike out, you know, for the first couple hours, you're like, this is absolutely the worst thing I've ever done in my <laughs> life. I will never come back here. It does not matter. And then a week later, you're like, you know what? It was. It wasn't that bad. We got to go back. And I feel like loaded is exactly the same. Like the yeah. Same thing. Um, yeah. Dave, you said it was the load of glow. You know, when you're done, you're just like relishing in all the experiences that you've had and how fun it was. And I love that, the, that week out. Well,
1: and I will, and I'll say that probably the highlight for me of the whole race is the hour after where we're sitting in the river, which is kind of a new thing now. <laughs> and I can, um, you know, scab off Sean's. Lay's potato chips yeah. in the river <laughs> and just hanging out, talking about stories with everybody and watching them finish. Yeah. That is the highlight for me of the entire race.
2: That's a Giardia factory, man. With all those, <laughs> all those butts in the river. Woo! So, Paul, if you're thinking
0: back, uh, anything that really stands out for you, best or worst experiences, um, you, you, got a, you got a little list.
2: Um. I've just had two years that have been really bad where, um, I, I have a hiatal hernia, which creates GERD or a, a reflux disease for me. So I had to be careful how I eat. And for a few years when I was trying to get more and more fit, it was, you know, that, that race would just bring out the worst in me, but, and it, it's a showstopper when it happens, you know, I mean, I just went to the finish line, but, but, um, So those, those two or three years when that was raging, those were bad, but, but then, you know, the rest of them have been good, regardless of the results, they've been fun. And, um, and I, you know, whether podium or not, um, I've loved doing them. It's, it's it's a great event. So yeah, just a couple of bad ones.
0: Any, any best experiences, Paul, anything that you remember, uh, you know, days where everything kind of came together?
2: Um, well, I I remember um, the one where, one of the ones where I took second, I was in a sprint with uh, Scott Kaiser mm-hmm. for the finish line. Dave knows him. And uh, anyway, um, I was cramping so bad. and uh, And I – as I gained on him, I went out around him and got about halfway up, you know, to where I just a wheels, you know, diameter, so to speak off of his, off of the finish line. And he, um, and he won that, but it was, but it was just fun to be in the sprint with him, you know, to, to give it a go. But anyway, that, that was a fun year. And Chris Peterson was right close. There. He was not far behind. I think, I think he was right in the mix there. And Ken Jones took from our team took uh, third that year. Wow. So um, that was fun having that many Medulis kind of finished together. Anyway.
0: I know, Dave, you always say that. How is it possible that 200 miles could be decided by half a wheel length at the end? Just crazy to think about. Every year. Dave, how about you? Best, worst experiences? Anything really stand out for you looking back?
1: I mean, my best experience is every year. My worst experience is every year at about mile <laughs> 190. My my feet hurt so bad. I'm, I'm developing neuropathy in my feet, and I get the intense hot foot after about six hours, oh. and nothing will solve it. So that's terrible. And then the bladder control is the worst. You know, I had a year with 10 bottles in and zero out, and I was in a break, and we didn't stop. And I was in so much pain. And so... Those stand out as just painful experiences, but every one has been my, my best experience also. The, the, the ones that stand out probably for me are the first one because I finished. Mm. After that was the 2004 when I you know was surrounded by all these amazing guys who kind of carried me through the season after my son died and then we wrote it together and finished together. And then 2005 was Snow to Jaw, and for me that was um, that was awesome because it was kind of a race of attrition, and I was probably 12 or maybe 15 pounds heavier at that time, and so the cold didn't really affect me, and I just I just kept going and just kept hammering, and I made it through Montpelier, and I was solo, and then I caught Jerem Zanger going up Salt River, and we rode together until halfway through. Snake River Canyon, and then he pulled out for a bit, and I just kept going, and I think I ended up, like, fourth or sixth overall and and won it, but, and it was the most miserable day on the bike ever, but it was, it was awesome, you know, so those are probably my highlights.
2: Hey, Dave, Dave, tell, tell, uh, tell Stu about the uh, race where uh, you got quoted in the Jackson Hole newspaper. Uh, when you cross the line, uh, after drinking all that, those 10 bottles of drink and not stopping to pee, uh, one, I mean, I crossed, so I was in a break with two other guys and they were teammates
1: and they both peed off the bike on the descents. I can't do that. I have the worst stage fright in the world. So, uh, (laughs) I can't even pee when we pull over. So, yeah, I mean, I crossed the line and I mean, I couldn't even see I was in so much pain. I literally threw my bike at Jeannie and I said, 10 bottles in, I got to pee like a racehorse. And I just bolted for the outhouse. And they quoted (laughs) me in the the Jackson paper on that.
0: Oh, my gosh, (laughs) So good. That was not intentional. Well, you both have uh, extremely... Dedicated work work ethic, uh, like like Paul said, I don't even know. I mean, if if they decided to do the race tomorrow, you'd both be ready. Um, may, maybe walk through a few. Um, how 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 does your minds think when it comes to training? Is it is it, uh, it is there a plan? Is there structure? Is there uh, must dos for you guys when it comes to training for this day? Is there stuff that you you've learned that you've got to do it has to happen in order to be ready how about you go first paul
2: dave let me let me lead out uh with this just for a second because uh when i um uh, bought a bike uh at age 47 uh i i started riding it and i'd done loaded gel a couple of times and dave's son evan was in my class and and for some day for some reason during a lull there I don't remember why but someone asked me a question about biking I guess that you know maybe I had suntanned arms or what, I don't know what brought it up and I said yeah I'm getting ready for a of jaw and Evan goes oh my dad won that and I looked at him I said are you kidding and he said uh no he rides all the time and I'm like and I was thinking maybe he didn't know what I was talking about, loading, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, I went home, I I got online and went to the Load Gel website, and sure enough, David won his his category. And so I said to Evan, um, hey, I, I need to get your dad's cell number. You think he'd let you give it to me? Oh yeah, sure. And he just wraps it off and and eventually I called Dave, went over to meet him, uh, and just ask him questions about how he trains and so forth. And um and that started uh, a great friendship and a lot of years of riding together. And Dave's uh, pretty much been, oh um, well, I don't know that, well, you know, Dave, you've sort of set the pace through all those years of, of training. And, and even though, you know, there's days and we don't ride together, um, we're both out there doing it. And, uh, but it's largely been Dave's recipe for success. So. And I love I mean I love I love the workout. I love being out there. I love sweating. I love I gave up golf in a heartbeat for cycling because because I just love to sweat, you know. <laughs> and this is uh anyway, and Dave loves it too, and so he was the right guy for me to get hooked up with eventually. But anyway. Go ahead, Dave. That was a
1: funny phone call. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Paul at all.
2: We sat down in the living room. It's like this formal meeting sitting in his (laughs) living room, you know. (laughs) And I felt like a, a news reporter asking him questions, you know, and writing down answers and so forth. But anyway.
1: Well, and the best part is both Evan and Jazz and Riley all had Paul as a teacher. And Riley played the drums and Paul had let him sleep under the timpani every day. During <laughs> class and writing, he still got an A every term out of Paul's <laughs> class. <laughs>
2: nah, dude, I didn't want to tick his dad off. Uh, <laughs> nice. But well, anyway, um, go ahead, Dave. With, with how, I mean, that, how do we train? How do you train? I mean,
1: I, you know, I, I just somehow figured out a recipe that worked for me. And, and that recipe, and I, I may have mentioned this in the first podcast I did, but it's the seven P's. And uh, proper prior planning prevents piss poor per- performance. Mm-hmm. And I try to live my life by the seven P's in everything I do. And and they especially apply to load a jaw training. And, um, and that, for me, starts with doing 100 milers pretty much every weekend, starting in may or june um train when it's hot train when it's cold train if you have to when it's raining um train like you're going to race so that when race day comes it's just another training day so that you know you've got to learn how to eat on the bike because you know most of the rides we do are five or six hours by the time you get into hour seven eight nine your stomach shuts down everything starts to hurt you feel terrible you've got to train that way so that when that hits you during race day, you're prepared and it doesn't derail your day. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, uh, for and I raced the crits for years and those were super helpful. I would say probably, you know, like Stu, as you mentioned at the top of the hour, uh, amazing how you could do this 200 and, you know, five mile race. And then the last mile is a sprint. So uh, and that's almost how every race has come down for me. And for me, racing the crits taught me how to sprint. So, you know, I would encourage everybody go out in a group of two, three, four guys, go out on Wasatch, set some markers, phone poles or whatever, and just start sprinting each other, learn how to draft each other. You got to figure out through the course of the race, if this is going to come down to a sprint, Whose wheel is going to be the strongest? How am I going to play this out? When do I want to go? And invariably, the best laid plans always fail. And so that's why you've got that last couple of kilometers as you're coming in from Wilson and everybody's playing cat and mouse and you're just so high strung. For me, that is the highlight moment of the entire race because it comes down to that sprint. And if you can master that sprint and win it, there's no greater feeling. Mm-hmm. So practice all that stuff. And of course you got to put in the time, you know, so that you're physically fit, but you got to have the mental fitness, um, so that you can make it through you work through the pain and, and also just have fun. Cause for me, a lot of times I'm like, this isn't even fun. I just want it to be over cause I'm hurting so bad. But anyway, um, that's that's how I train, and so I start doing those rides in, you know, May, June, with all you guys, and um, and they're so fun. And so then the day the race comes, yeah, I'm super anxious. I don't sleep well. I I can barely eat anything. But then once we get rolling and you just kind of settle in, Same It's one. awesome. Yep. You mm. <laughs> guys have been there. It's awesome.
0: Nice. Well, let's uh <clears throat> let's go to race day. Maybe day before. Let, let's say um, I mean I don't want to give away too many of your secrets in case we got competitors listening you know you never know in that man <laughs> gonna be listening <laughs> right um, right what do you guys We have no secrets what do you guys do like let's let's talk nutrition what have you learned over the years that it works for you you love it Day before and race day. I mean, what's in your bottles? What's in your back pockets? What do you do at feed zones? Let's just hear it all.
2: Dave, I think we're a little. So Paul and I are different. very different, so Paul, yeah. you go first. Yeah, I think we're uh, my my. Uh, so in my bottles, I carry one mixed with drinks, one with water, and I think it's important to realize that that whether you take a gel with water or a mixed drink or. Uh shot blocks and water, uh they're essentially the same. It's sugar water in your stomach that gets absorbed into, into your body. And and then um and then uh but it has to be at the right concentration level. So too often it's you can get it too high of a sugar content. It needs to be at about that six percent carb concentration to be drawn across the intestinal wall into the blood, which then gets to your muscles. If it's higher than that. It has to reach that isotonic level so it'll draw it'll draw water from your body back into the intestine to to dilute the uh, drink that you just had if it's too sugary uh, before it can be drawn across and you don't want your body giving up water to go back into your gut to to fix the problems Uh, so anyway that's just something to remember with with gels and drinks and, and shot blocks and so forth but uh, another thing that I find important, I think this is where Dave and I differ, uh, Cameron uh, Hoffman, famous uh, local rider, really strong, probably the most celebrated Utah rider, right? yeah, except for the ones that have ridden pro, like Zabriskie and so forth. But but anyway, um, uh, he, he sort of alluded to this when he said, uh, in the same article, he said that loaded jaws, not at climbers race. It's a sprinter's race. And Dave's already talked about that. Uh, and that's really true. I mean, you think that how can it, you know, anyway, you have to be a good climber, but it's, but it's, uh, a sprinter race. But anyway, you also said that, uh, it's important to take in solid food for most riders. Now there might be some that can just make it work on drinks and gels, but, um, and his, and he's so serious about that that he said, before I get to Preston, I've already eaten a bar and I've already drunk a bottle of uh, liquid. And what he's drinking was like a 12 ounce bottle in his pocket that he it wasn't because he, he needed his two bottles to get to Montpelier, his regular bottles. But he would consume uh, like a, a bottle of some drink and a bar before he gets depressed. And the last thing you want to do in the cold morning air, uh, just having had breakfast is eat a bar and drink. And, and for that part, the olive loaded jaw is all about eating and drinking, whether you feel like it or not. Like it's, you don't have a choice. If you're racing, you know, you want a place, and you want to finish strong. You've got to stay up on, on, on your food. And the longer, races get the more important it is to have solid foods i've found uh, so i'd use rice cakes that phil in Lim, dr limb talks about in his book and i use i get at the feed zone i get a little baggy uh oh and by the way when you get to the feed zone have uh have a pre-planned set of items that your support crew hands up to you that you've you figured out you know the days before, and it, you know, one maybe has a label of Montpelier. You get this bag at Afton, you get this bag in it. Alpine, you get this bag of food and you just get it and put it in your pockets. I always get watermelon pieces. My, this is my treat, uh, right at the, right at the feed zone. I open up this little half size Ziploc bag. It has like six or eight pieces of watermelon in it. And nothing tastes better that day than, than those pieces of watermelon. It just brightens your, uh, outlook at least for a while but anyway in in my uh, hand up bag there's these rice cakes that i've made there are um, there's a banana half a banana usually there's uh, gels and there's you know that the drink mixes in my bottle one's water to go with my gels the others uh, and then i try for 200 calories per hour it's hard to do but the professionals and the science talk about this a lot. And pros can even get up to 300 plus calories per hour. Uh, really hard to do. Something you have to practice. And I wouldn't do anything on loaded job that you haven't already tried uh, over and over in, in practice. You know, uh, So try for 200 calories on a long Saturday and see if you can come close to that but and if you can it's amazing how when you eat 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 and drink 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 you, you just do better. Yeah. Uh, but anyway that's um, that's my uh, that's my uh, food uh, thing. I also take some thermo tabs with me that are mostly sodium like four different types of sodium and I'll take a couple of those and then as I get to like aft and I start taking uh, visit each feed zone, I'll take two of those. And I'll take two ibuprofens from afton mm. at Afton and at Alpine just to just to take the nine pain, uh, you know, of your butt and your hands and your triceps and your neck muscles from holding your head and all that stuff. Just it just masks the pain to get you to finish line. Nice. So anyway, that's my food thing.
0: That was good. Very good. Dave, you said yours is different. Let's hear it.
1: Yeah, Paul's way more scientific than I am. He reads all the research, you know, <laughs> and I don't. I'm lazy, but I would say, uh, back to the point I made uh, race like you train, eat stuff that you're used to eating and that you like and that you know that you can tolerate. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, that kind of stuff is Pop Tarts. Mm-hmm. Um, in my bottles, I'll have, same with Paul, I start with. I, I have a, a, a full 28-ounce mix bottle and a bottle of water for each feed zone, and I try to drink a full bottle every hour. That's hard to do at the beginning. It's hard to do at the end. My mix consists of one scoop of Carbo Rocket and one scoop of Country Time Lemonade because nice. it tastes good. It's easy on my stomach. It's good calories, and I'm used to it. Mm. Um, I eat probably a banana at every feed zone. Um, I'll take gels and blocks sis gels as well um and then and and that basically carries me towards the end of the race i'll have a small bag of salty mixed nuts get a little protein and the salt is good because i get to the point where i can't tolerate the sweet stuff anymore my stomach just it's like i can barely take it But for me, uh, I found a couple little secrets. I'll pop 800 ibuprofen before the start, and then I'll pop another 800 about seven hours later because that's when I really start to get sore. I know you're not supposed to take them for eight hours, but anyway, so that, but then also, so I only stop at three feed zones, right? Um, Montpelier, Afton, and um, Snake River Canyon. At each feed zone, um, I'll pop four Tums, like the big Tums tablets and their fruit flavor and they just chomp them down. And what I found is those totally settle my stomach. So I don't get that kind of stomach churn that oftentimes you get from too much sweets or you're just, your stomach shuts down. But for me, that really helps. The other thing is like just a half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is, is good to just mix it up. But what I find, and I've got a spreadsheet where I track all this stuff and I, do it year to year and I refine it year to year and I always find that towards the end of the day, I'm putting more food back in my bag than I'm taking out. Yeah. So, so one of my tricks is because I want to, I mean, I'm racing it to win. And so I'm playing heads up through every feed zone. I drill it to the front of the feed zone. So I'm the first one through, especially a Montpelier. I have my wife wait at the far end of the feed zone. I carry an extra Musette bag in my pocket at the start. So that as I'm coming into the feed zone, I put my empty bottles and my garbage and food. I don't want in my musette bag. I roll up to her. I drop the bag at her feet while she's holding the bag out for me. And I grab it and I just go, I sling it around my shoulder, fill, put my bottles in, fill my pockets, fold up the bag, put it back in. And I'm just hammering because that's how the guys that I've raced with for years do it. And I, I, been caught with my pants down a few times in the feed zone where I've had to like TT it back up to the group. And it's, it's brutal. So yeah. I, I know a lot of guys aren't that serious and they want to stop. And you know, you see some guys having a picnic and a massage. I mean, and that's fine. <laughs> if that's not mine. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, uh, those are kind of my, that's what works for me, but I'd say train with all that stuff and, and figure out what, what works for you and, and then use that on racing. Don't do anything on race day that you haven't trained with. Yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. almost like your body, when you put that stuff in from the summer, it's like, oh, we know what to do. We know what's coming now. Here comes the country time, lemonade, carbo rocket mix. Like, we know it. That's right. But then, but then all of a sudden, you decide to add half a teaspoon of salt, liquid, and another full scoop of carbo, whatever. And now your body's like, no, no, no. This isn't how we do this. This mm-hmm. is uh, – a we're going to shut down. So, Well, in
1: some years, I've tried to take a Red Bull at Alpine, mm-hmm. and, and I can't get it down. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, I take caffeinated gels and blocks, and so that much caffeine by the end of the day, you know – Nine o'clock at night, I'm trying to fall asleep, and I'm, like, quivering like a fish. So <laughs> I try to limit that.
2: <laughs> yeah, the half-life of caffeine is five hours. So <laughs> at night, a- bed sleep time, you're still running on half year.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. what was so funny about last year. My start time last year because of COVID was at 5. Mm. So I started the race at 5, like 5 a.m. Mm. We were mm. done at, like, 2. I mean, yeah. we were, we were I, it, we it was so funny to sit at that finish line for so long, waiting for everybody.
2: But. Hey, uh, uh, Stu, I was going to tell any of the listeners if uh, what I've found, if you have a more tender gut like me, uh, that Scratch Labs mix is is uh, man, that was that was a game changer for me. That really helped. And and when I take sodium tabs and ibuprofen, I take them in smaller doses because. If you, take, if you were to take a salt tablet, just the pure salt thing, for me, it would just cause instant gut problems. And same with, if I went to the 800 milligrams of IBU that Dave does, man, my stomach would just, so if you have an uneasy stomach, take like 400 milligrams uh, two or three times during the race and, and sodium you know, supplements at a lighter, easier dosage, and always take them with food and I think you'll find that that uh, if you have a, a you know light stomach, so to speak, it'll be that'll work better. But nice.
1: So, Paul, what you're saying is that's why I pee blood after every race. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> like a racehorse.
0: Yeah. Nice. Quote him; it's in the newspaper. Yeah, he's
2: like nine bottles in and no bottles out. I gotta pee like a racehorse. <laughs> She's like, oh, I gotta write that down. Nice. <laughs> So um,
0: I know that everybody always overthinks strategy of this course. There's so much going on. So any insider information that you guys do just because of the what you've learned over the years of how the course rides?
2: Okay, you go first, Dave. You got more experience.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. The courses have changed quite a bit since I first started racing it. Um, it's definitely the hardest course now that I think that it's ever been because you've got, I don't know, 200 and something miles over and you're, you get almost 10,000 vertical. So, you know, as you roll out, everybody's kind of nervous and usually it's freezing cold. You just got to kind of deal with that. I would say where the race for me starts and our group usually takes a neutral P break, break right before the real climbing section starts heading into strawberry. Do not get left behind in the pee break. If you take one, do not get in the back of the pack. I always try to ride at the very front of the pack so I can cover any attack that goes off. And that's going to happen at least in my group every year I've done it um, at that base of strawberry and the base of strawberry starts really long before the real steep section does. Cause you know, it's got a good, I don't know, three, 3% grade that gets hard because you know, the horses are, out of the barn and they're going. And so then by the time you hit the base of the climb, I mean, you're at least in my packs, they've been pretty thinned out to maybe 10 or 12 guys. Then you've got that strawberry climb. You hit it to the top of that. And uh, you know, you meet in my group again, we're down to now three or four guys, but there's that false flat. And then you've got another climb a couple miles after. So, um, so that's always a key spot as well as the descents. Um, you know, Geneva is, is a steep climb, but it's a short climb. Salt River is a steep climb, but a short climb. Don't get caught behind on the descents because, like, coming off Salt River, mm-hmm. um, invariably, you know, you'll hit 50, 55 on that descent, but then as soon as you start to flatten out, a lot of times you'll hit a headwind, and if you're not with the group and you're alone, you're screwed because mm-hmm. you'll never catch the guys in front of you and and from then on it's just stay with the group try to get the guys everybody to work I had an experience two years ago with the one dude didn't work you know at Hoback and he just sat in the whole time and just coasted with us and then he jumped us with 2k to go and uh, kind of took us by surprise and he ended up winning so you know those are kind of for me the 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 places for the climbs where i always try to be at the very front to cover any attack and then at the sprint you know it's just got it you just gotta you just gotta be ready for it yeah never lead the sprint out never lead the sprint out because you'll get beat every time (laughs) uh so find the right wheel to follow stay on that wheel until 200 meters and then just give it everything you have nice Mm -hmm.
2: yep I think the ugly parts of the ride for uh, me—I don't know how you feel, Dave—but before Salt River climb starts, there's a there's several miles of uh, one, two, three, and four percent leading up to that, and oh, I hate that because you just feel like it zaps your energy, and then all of a sudden you've got you know the the steeper climb of the day uh, staring you in the face, but. And the line to, for the
1: KOM starts way before the climb even starts yeah, on Salt River. Yeah.
2: And I think, so at that point, I'd try to, to, you know, do as much drafting as you can. I realized that two climbs have thinned the herd. So sometimes you're down to five or six riders, maybe a dozen riders if you're lucky. And, and if you can, um, you know, spend, you know, just be smart about how much time and effort you spend pulling the train because... You want to start the the uh, serious climbing with something in your legs, but and then the descent there, uh, uh, as you know, all uh, any of you that've ridden it, you, you descend like Dave said about 55 miles an hour, but then it's a it's a three percent, two percent, one percent downhill grade for quite a long while, and if you're if you can be with the front runners at that point, uh, you can you can spin at 30 miles an hour and still be getting a rest trading leads. Whereas if you're alone, like I, I, I was off the back, uh, just maybe a hundred yards and we topped out last year and I had to drill for all I was worth. And I got to about 20 yards of the, of the three guys that uh, descended together. And I just, I just thought I, I can't, I got to quit. I just, and I just like kind of went blank and just stayed on my pace and thank goodness hooked on and could and stayed there the rest of the day. But but that is not the way to do it, man. You've got to top out with those guys and and be ready to pedal on that after you've come out of your tuck. Be ready to pedal on that on that descent off of. So solid-
1: hey, hey, Stu. One other thing I thought of that I'll mention is. Um, for me, I converted to tubeless tires last year Mm. and, and I know there may be some guys out there that still haven't, but, um, you know, there are years when I would put in wheels in the wheel car and years that I didn't. And I had, I've had three loaded jaws where I flatted or maybe four. And every time I've done that, I've had to just chase back on. And one time I was in the, in the break and I flatted. And then like 10 miles later, I flatted again. And both times it took me an hour to chase back on to the lead group, which I was able to do. But then I was, I caught these guys halfway up snake river Canyon and then they started attacking me because they knew that I had won it the year before. And uh, anyway, it was brutal. So, but I would say tubeless tires are a game changer Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't have to worry about flats. And unless you run over a piece of glass or something, have plenty of stands in your tubes, and or in your tires and uh you know you really don't have to worry about flats and that for me has been an issue at years. so i would highly recommend using tubeless
2: hey Stu, your 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 flat experience was i mean you were close to the end and you were at the front runners that's right that ruined your day oh yeah you were were like what six miles from the finish line or something
0: yeah we, we had just come off the path Uh, wrapping around there in the back that back area you know that little weird pathway and you winding along and then all of a sudden i could feel my front tire going squishy and yeah i i mean there's not a whole lot you can not a whole lot you can do the tears Uh, set in (laughs) (laughs) although it's it's easy i can just tell everybody if i wouldn't have got a flat i would have won so that's better than even winning just tell them
1: are you riding too now?
0: no no so I don't I rode tubeless last year and uh Kristen rides tubeless but no I ride tubes in my in my I just hate having to worry about them to be honest like all the I mean it's great for race day but I just use tubes
2: if you get a slice of a in your tubeless tires we've we've both had that happen to where your bacon strips can't plug them and yeah, you know, with the tube you could hurry and put another tube in and that I mean it, they have their advantage for sure, but I'd put stands in those tubes. Do you do that? Yeah, you top. Yeah. 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 One ounce. I will
1: also pounds. say if you're in if you're in the brake, then generally there's a wheel car behind you. And that's been my case. And so I've been able to get a wheel pretty quick, but you know, when when the group is going at twenty-two miles an hour, it's that's hard to catch back on.
2: Hey, uh, by the way, the newest, latest thing out is inserts for road bikes. I mean, they've been around for mountain bikes for quite a while, but and apparently these inserts are made of a foam rubber. It's just like a, you know, like one of those uh, worms you jump in the swimming pool with that keep you afloat. They're that only this diameter of your tire. So 25s or 28s, they come in. Anyway, you put these in your tire. And apparently if you get a flat, and your stands can't fix it, uh, you can ride. Uh, someone said it's sort of like riding with about 40 pounds of air pressure in your tire, oh, but wow. you can ride clear to the finish line with those inserts. And they, and they weigh like remarkably little. I can't remember uh, the stats, but v- Vittoria makes the best ones and they're. I think they're just, Oh man, they're like an ounce uh, of weight. And that's how much stands we put in our, tires you know i think they're really lightweight so that may some maybe someday we'll all be using those i don't know something to think about but yeah, hey relative solid. to uh, equipment uh i would also add um that uh you see this a lot of times people uh, will talk about mechanicals they've had that what i find is that a lot of times they probably could have been solved before that day got there and um, and I'd just be sure to make sure you know that all the creaks, all the clicks, all that are out of out of your system get what help you need at the, at the shop. But uh, and then um, and then I don't know. I'm I'm a little superstitious, but I I do all this work the day before, and then I ride it Friday to make sure that everything works. I would not show up to load a jaw having um, you know even lubed your chain and not try you know like i'd make sure that that everything you've done is uh is uh you know is it's working and then um i wouldn't take lights unless you start early like you did last year you might have to you know if you're riding for an hour and a half and before it even starts to get light you may have to but at the hour i start you can sort of limp through the back streets of logan with street lights that are you know shining on the road, and by the time we get on the road to Preston, it's just enough light to see. And I put all my uh, tire repair stuff in my jersey pocket. I don't take a saddle bag anymore, but but you know, for other people, that the saddle bags—they're a way to carry it, and they, and they like that. But um, anyway, that's my thing on equipment. You know, what we ought to talk about is cold weather clothing because last year it got to 32 degrees just outside yeah. Preston. That was brutal. And there have oh. been years that are worse. Um,
0: yeah, I've had 20 Yeah, yeah years I, always, only 20. Try to,
1: I only try yeah. to go out with arm warmers and a vest and maybe long finger gloves and toe warmers that you can then just swap out at the first feed zone and not carry the rest of the day. Yeah. Anything more than that is too much. Yeah. And I you're think- just gonna suffer.
2: I think you have to be able to get rid of it, take it off while you're riding and be able to dump it because um, anything that, you know, if you wear like a long undershirt or a, or even a buff, try to take a buff off, take your helmet off. No and then Marshall will DQ you to get that buff off, you know, like, um, but um, uh, one thing I found, and this sounds crazy, but if it's really cold weather, I wear two vests and it's surprising how warm that is yeah when you need it and then i take the first one off and put it in my pocket and then when i get to to montpelier uh they both get put in my bag and dropped at cindy's feet along with my you know gloves and toe warmers and and sleeves and um yeah that's uh something to think about a lot of people haven't uh really solved that problem yet if they're new to to racing but if you're not racing then just pull up to the to the feed you know zone I, and take take 10 minutes and get all your clothes off and get you know get back on and ride okay you know what
0: i did last year for my hands is i took uh toe warmers and you know how they have the sticky yeah so i just stuck the i stuck the toe warmers on my bars and then i just ripped them off uh like montpelier once it was finally warm so i didn't have to worry about like the loose hand warmers you know rattling around in my gloves or whatever i just stuck the hand warmers on my on my hoods it was kind of ghetto but then i didn't even care it was so cold i was glad yeah. i had them, so
2: great idea that's genius. that's genius yeah that's something i gotta try that's a good one um how about support crew do you care if we talk for a minute about that no
0: let's do it yeah let's do support crew
2: um Again, this this all changes if you're racing or not racing, right? But let's assume that you're racing. Um, it's interesting to see uh, people, families come up with all the kids and pulling a wagon, and they've got, um, you know, like a whole spread of food there as though um, – as though the rider's going to come in and decide what he wants. And, and now, and, and then they, you know, he'll pick and choose among all the stuff that work, that works if you're not racing, but if you're racing, I think we're back to, uh, you don't get that luxury, whatever you put in your bag, even if you don't feel like eating it, you gotta, you gotta eat it and go with it. But, but, um, I, I like to use the neutral feed zones for water and occasional gel. If it's there, sometimes I just take the water and, wet my back with it on a hot day and throw the bo- and drop the bottle before I even get out of the feed zone almost. But if you need the water because you missed a hand up or whatever, you could always hang on to it. But, um, that's, uh, the, the, the well, one thing that often that newbies don't think about is your support crew needs food to eat themselves. That happens so many times, and and I've heard so many stories about. Uh, by the time they get to Afton, they're starving, and so they they find the local subway, and there's one there, and the line is two blocks long, and they die. Oh, will just get in it, and that's your shortest leg from Afton to Alpine, right. and you're there and gone, and and there was no one there to meet you, and so uh, just make sure they plan food for themselves uh because often they'll just jump in there and start driving and and not realize that they don't have any food to eat and and to try to go buy food you know if you're a racer that that's just not a good plan for the day you know um anyway uh dave you might have other things i yeah oh seven peas baby yep yeah
0: um, yeah, that that race crew stuff is it is nerve wracking. I did it once for Kristen, where it was all I did was uh, was support her. It was tough. That's a tough yeah. day. It's a tough day as support crew. Not
2: easy. Hey, another loaded job tip I'd I'd bring up is um, it's tempting to want to uh, when you're racing. Uh, again, it just doesn't matter if you're not racing. But if you're racing, I'd be careful not to share support with another rider there's just too many variables and and you're already at risk just with your own set of variables on that day and and um and i'd be careful even about planning dave and i agreed to ride together one time and that's because uh david just had some heart uh problems that had been diagnosed and he was uh, struggling with any Dave, you, you you maybe told this but he'd even reached a point where he had decided that maybe he wouldn't be racing anymore and so uh, but he'd already signed up for loaded job paid the money so we rode together and even in his compromised situation that was one of my my bad days i was holding him back like at every feed zone but but anyway we rode together and finished together but but if you, if you plan to ride with buddies um, and, and you plan to race, I, I, I would, it, it's just it's not going to work. Uh, someone will always be disadvantaged and someone will always be advantaged by that agreement. And, and either you uh, change midstream and decide to quit riding together and, um, and just go and ride your own race, but it usually is too late. And if you think that maybe if you get four or five that are pretty, you know, equal riders together and that you're going to just go and, and beat the crap out of everyone, there's three or four guys in your start pack that'll have something to say about that. And you'll find out who they are and they'll, and they'll, and they'll, they'll win the race. You know I mean? They're you got to assume there's people that are just as strong, if not stronger. And, um, and so I, I yeah, man, I just be careful. Cause usually when I've watched groups do that over my years of doing this, um, they, they, it, it always breaks down. And, uh, the person who is disadvantaged the most probably could have been among the, you know, the, the sprint for the finish had, had he had a different plan. And, and, um, so that's if you're racing if your goal is to go there and ride with buddies then then do it uh and have fun because those are also really great days i did that two or three of my years just rode with good friends and and those were fun times so but if you're gonna if you're gonna if your goal is to podium um i i would say be careful about committing to anyone because there's you know, someone's going to get sick. Someone's going to have diarrhea. Someone's going to throw up. Someone's going to have a flat. Someone's going to miss their support. Some, you know, there's, there's so many things that'll mess up that plan, but. That's great advice,
0: Paul. So good. That's great advice because it's always coming down to that. Hey, we're racing together. We might as well share support, share the hotel room. Yeah, Yeah. That's great advice.
2: Yeah. I mean, you can try it, but I, you know, I've never seen it work well, but. Uh, and and with sharing support, uh, I'm not sure there's really a good reason for it. I mean, there might, if some, obviously, if someone has a car breakdown or whatever, and that's happened to a friend of mine, then yeah, uh, sharing support's a great idea because that'll be his only way to get food. But anyway. Well, nice. Hey, um,
0: anything else? We're, we're uh, kind of coming in for a landing here. Um, any other, any other? Final thoughts here, Dave or Paul, as we wrap up? I
1: would only say, enjoy the journey of training. Enjoy the race day. I hope everybody finishes, and I hope everybody wins. Yeah.
2: You're all winners. Yeah. Everybody's winner. Hey, I, and I'd you're say. You're on the podium. Yeah. I would say this, that um, the best biker in the world is the one out there having the most fun. And on, and on any uh, given ride, any one of us could feel or convince ourselves that we're the best biker in the world because we're having the most fun. And I think that's important to remember. And, and then uh, for me, I always want to keep it in perspective. Um, the great adventure in life for me is family, life, kids, and, and this is secondary, if not tertiary or fifth place. I don't know, but um, but uh, the big adventure. Don't don't confuse. Don't get messed up. Don't let this take you away from bigger priorities. Uh, and and over a course of a lifetime, you'll 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 love your life because you kept it. Uh, you've kept it all in in order. You know. Anyway. Great
0: advice, Paul. Well, uh, as Dave said, enjoy the best, worst day of the year. This is gonna be- <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you learned some stuff to make your worst day a little better. Just kidding. It's a great day.
2: All hey, sure, you've done a great job as uh, the leader of the of the Medwali team, and you don't get thanks often enough, but, man, thank you for all the great. effort all right. and time and hours and, and, and genius you put into this.
0: Well, it's a lot of fun. And
1: these podcasts are awesome.
0: Well, Mm. let's hope people are listening. Let's hope it's not just one guy downloading it like 200 times a week. (laughs) 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 I look up to you both. You're both uh, great friends, mentors, dads that I want to be like, fathers, the way you treat your children and wives. I'm grateful for both of you. So thanks for being on.
1: Thanks to you. Well, thanks, Stu. That's funny because I say the same about you. Yeah. I want to be you someday, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I want that beard, man. I want to be able to do that. This is glued on. <laughs> oh, man. All right,
0: Love bro. you, girl. Love you guys. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Day. Okay. See, see you.